All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Rigos Rag Podcast. Ian Cummings here with Nathan Britton and Jig Kamiker. The whole crew is back. As I've mentioned before, we're trying to get all our authors on. And today we've got Kyle Hundley, Rigos Rag author. Uh, he did the keys to victory each week for us during the season. And he recently did an article on the Washington Redskins 1991 Super Bowl team in the spirit of the Super Bowl. Kyle, how you doing? Pretty good. How you guys doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, the Super Bowl hangover is still going, and uh, it left something to be desired. Nathan, Jacob, I'm I'm sure you guys agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Jacob. No, I'll let you go first, Nathan. I'll I'll let you have have your moment. <laughs> yeah. Um. The Super Bowl was from everything, as we said before, everything from the second the national anthem ended all the way to where it ticked down. It was kind of just a one giant crap fest. I mean, the, the, the halftime was terrible. The, I guess, offensive performances outside of a few plays here and there were pretty bad. The defenses stood tall, which is actually surprising when you see what the Patriots and the Chiefs did last week and how powerful that Rams offense is and the going back to when the Rams and Chiefs played uh, in the regular season. And I believe each team put up 50 or right around it. So to have this be a game that nobody scored 20 points is, is shocking. But the good guys won. The Sorry, good Sean guys. Get back there. Let's go. Let's go. TB12. Let's get number seven. You see that? That's bittersweet for me because a lot of my friends over here, you know, they're just rooting for him because of Tom Brady, and it's like Tom Brady's the goat, man. Which, hey, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that, but uh, it gets it gets cumbersome. Jacob, how did you like the Super Bowl? Did you enjoy it a little bit more or not? Um, no, I thought it was a pretty <laughs> bad game. Worst Super Bowl I've ever watched in terms of just on-field performance and everything surrounding it. And for those that are saying, like, the defense was elite, I get that. But there's also a balance between, like, really good defensive play and really bad offense. And the defense has played very well, but the offense has also just played very poorly. Like, Tom Brady did not look himself for most of the night. Yeah, he wasn't really good. Yeah, and Jared Goff was terrible, which (laughs) I spent the entire two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl telling my poor father just how bad Jared Goff was going to perform in this game. Like, I said it probably 300 times, and lo and behold, he lived up to that. And uh, uh, for those who don't know, I am from just north of Boston, so I am a Patriots fan, so I was happy with the result. But, yeah, the whole game left a lot to be desired, and I think it would have been a much better matchup if the Saints had beaten the Rams, which they should have, but that's a topic for another day. (laughs) Kyle, were you pulling for the Rams, or were you... I wanted to see the Rams win, but deep down, I kind of had that gut feeling that New England was going to pull it out. I mean, you just got to look at Bill Belichick. I mean, he cut his teeth on the defensive side of the ball on with the Giants back in the 80s as their D coordinator, so he knows his defense, and uh, give him an extra week to prep against that young, up-and-coming coach in that Rams offense, I mean, not that really spoke volumes about just how good of a game Belichick coached to only hold that Rams team to three points. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we'll we'll get more into that later, uh, how the Patriots did it and how maybe Washington can emulate that if they would be so willing. Let's get into the Super Bowl and uh, the Redskins. And they haven't been there in a while, since 1991, in fact. And Kyle, you did a featured piece on that uh, a few days ago, really nice piece about the statistics and the players that led to that championship and, you know, all the different roles that were played. And a lot of the listeners here, it's been a while. I think it's almost been 30 years. So a lot of the listeners haven't, didn't even experience that. Me personally, I did not think any of us have actually. So give, give the guys a rundown of what that was like, you know, what was different, you know, what was that, what was this team known for? 
I just think it was more so like they had a lot of Hall of Famers, but a lot of them were at the tail end of their careers. I mean, I mentioned that Russ Grimm, he's like out of the, the hogs on that line. He's the one in the Hall of Fame, and he only started one game that year. They had so much depth along that line, and they were just such a complete team and they dominated without that superstar, you know? I mean, Thurman Thomas was the NFL MVP that year, and they locked him down in that Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the Hogs, uh, I know Joe Jacoby. Uh, was Jacoby still there, or was it someone else? Was it Schlereth? I forget. They moved Jacoby to uh, right tackle, actually, because they had Jim... Jim Lachey, he was uh, first-team All-Pro that year. Oh, yeah. Uh, during that one season, he was probably – because Anthony Munoz during the, the 80s was like the, the stud of the, the tackles, but he was at the tail end. So at the time, Jim Lachey was probably the best tackle in the league during that year. That's right. Lachey, I remember. Yeah. They just – it's crazy how they just – you know, there there were a lot of names on that Hogs line, and they all managed to live up to that reputation. And you know, there was a lot of other parts of the of the team that kind of had nicknames too. When when you get a nickname, you know you left an impression. Like I know Capital Punishment with Dexter Manley and Charles Mann, and then of course the Posse and Mark Rippian was he's considered one of the best deep passers in NFL history now. And you know, he, he was oh yeah, he his deep balls on film and. Like, he threw kind of wobbly ones on, like, the intermediate and short routes, but his deep ball was just something to sit back and admire. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. You don't expect that. Usually, the short and intermediate stuff comes first, and then deep, the deep routes where they start to kind of, the accuracy starts to fizzle, but no, he was made for the Rockets, and he, he did it well, so. It's crazy. You look back, like, they have, they scored 485, like, even by today's standards, that's, that's big-time offense, and they did that in 91. Yeah, we talk about how the how the game is kind of revolutionizing now, but back then that was kind of a glitch in time there, where they were just piling on yards, piling on points, and it's crazy to think about now. You know that that team could easily beat this team now that they have, and so like, how much do you think you could beat them by? Definitely double digits. Definitely double digits. I mean, I, I our strength is our defensive line now, so that would match up pretty well against the Hogs. But still, you got. I mean. And it's not just the players, too. It's the coaching, you know. Gibbs was so good at adjusting and playing his players to their strengths. And then you, uh, our, our staff now is a little, a lot more passive, actually, when it comes to that. That's one thing I noticed, too. I, I probably should have talked a little bit more. Uh, Gibbs was so good at that. You look at how he started off back in the early 80s, uh, trying to run run the ball a lot with Riggins and the, the Hogs and how that evolutionized on down the line to Griffin and the deep balls and the posse. I mean, he really knew how to play to his, uh, his player's strengths, you know? Yeah. He wasn't an X's and O's guy. He was a player's guy. He, he went with players and not X's and O's, and he really knew how to do that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you see that now with uh, the cream of the crop rising, and you know you saw that with Gibbs, and even before 1991, I mean, he won three different Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. I mean, that's about as impressive as it gets. So still the only one. I'm willing to bet he'll be the only one to do it for a long time. That's for sure. Kyle, were you were you alive for that Super Bowl? I forget. I was somewhere, but I think I was three and a half. Definitely wasn't old enough to enjoy it. I got you. I got you. Yeah, you weren't old enough to enjoy it. I think I was. I was negative seven years old. So um. Oh, yeah. So not not quite there yet. So it's it's been a while. It's been a while to say the least. But um, they can get back if they have the discipline to do it. And there's a prime example sitting right here uh, in the six-time Super Bowl champion 
New England Patriots. So now we're going to pivot. I'll start with you, Jacob. You're close to them, and then we'll work to our wood and Nathan and stuff. How can the Redskins, because they, they have a case study they can follow. Will they do it? You know, can they do it? And so how, how can they emulate the Patriots maybe and kind of put a plan to succeed in place? Yeah, and obviously the Patriots are much more advanced than where the Redskins currently are. The Redskins going through like a massive half rebuild at this point where they're going to either be mediocre this year or the wheels are going to fall off. But the one thing I look at with most of the Patriots teams is that they end up finding quality players on the offensive line to protect Tom Brady or, you know, whoever the quarterback ends up being has been Tom Brady for this extended period of time. But even the year that Matt Castle had to start, they, I think, went about 11-5 and five and almost made, should have made the playoffs, but they didn't. Just that offensive line has always been strong. They've had players like Stephen Neal, Matt Light, Nick Kazer were, were on those lines. And then this year, if you look at their, their interior line is one of the best in the games with Joe Tooney, David Andrews, and Shaq Mason. Mason has been challenging Zach Martin as the best guard in the league this year. He made the leap there. And at tackle, they're, they're good at finding by-low players like Trent Brown. They traded, I think, a third-round pick to San Francisco to get him. And he turned into one of the better left tackles in the league. So how I look at it, teams that have strong offensive lines tend to do better. If you look at the four teams that were left at the end of the year, the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Saints, and the Rams, they all had good offensive line play. If you look at the 91 Redskins, they still had the Hogs, just like you guys talked about. So I think the big thing that they have to do if they want to start getting towards that winning culture and having a chance is build up that offensive line to really keep the offense afloat once they find who their franchise quarterback's going to be yeah and that's you know i i tweeted this yesterday my favorite combo uh kind of getting into draft stuff is wide receiver offensive guard in some order in the first two rounds and i think you know a big reason for me committing to that is you look at the patriots and the success they had not not just with a good offensive line but a versatile offensive line you know that that line can do it all they they hold their weight whatever scenario whatever situation and I think having a guy who can do all having a high level starter you know any any team can settle and the Patriots I mean you look at where they got those guys I think Andrews is an undrafted free agent I think Tooney's a third rounder so you don't necessarily have to invest the high picks but that's how you uh, increase your chance of success and I think it's worth it it's worth it if you get a top tier offensive line I mean as as we've seen you know those those are the teams that are playoff contenders Nathan you got anything else on your mind of how the Redskins might be able to emulate the Patriots uh get a new owner no but I think one of the things we've seen over the past few years is you look at from the Super Bowl that just happened last week to last year what play kind of took the Patriots out of it and a couple years back when the Seahawks destroyed Peyton Manning and Denver Broncos and then they turned around and beat the Panthers is a strong defense it's it's as much as you need a great offense that can score points you need someone that can take the the ones who are the best at that and limit it I mean you're never gonna stop these dominant uh offenses when they're when they're at full strength but if you can limit it I think that's what's really important so they have that offense or that defensive line we love to talk about and but if they can really solidify that front seven with their linebacking core that's one of their weakest positions and really solidify that secondary and build that that defense up 
that's that's the start and and really what it comes down to is most of the time unless you have a hall of famer like an aaron Rodgers, a Peyton manning or a tom brady you you win with your quarterback on his rookie deal you build the team up around them and then you get your your franchise guy that can go do it so you don't have to allocate all that money there and we saw with kirk cousins and how the vikings are they're not bad I, they, they were bad this year they probably will be better next year. you just have to assume but they have all that money tied up on kirk cousins it's going to be hard for them to go out and sign these free agents and that limits what you can do so you really need to build your team and kind of get that ready to compete and then go get your franchise passer while you have him on a rookie deal after in the year two or three when you can really go make a noise like Carson Wentz did a couple years ago yeah yeah for sure the the, the Patriots I feel like they can kind of bend the rules a little bit because Tom Brady you know he he can he consistently takes discounts so that the team can have a little more flexibility but you know, for everyone else, you've got to get that quarterback on the rookie deal, but it's got to be your guy. You know, you can't force it. Yeah, so that's that's. Yeah, it. no, you can't. Like, the worst thing that the Redskins could do is, let's say that their defense is consistently what it was the first couple weeks of the season this past year, and then this offense ready to go, and they go, we just need a pass, and then they bring in Nick Foles at $25 million. That's mm-hmm. That's not how you do it. Or even Alex Smith. I, Everyone loved to talk about what we were doing in the regular season. Once we got to the playoffs, I kind of felt like what happened to the Rams on Sunday was exactly what was going to happen with our offense. I feel like everyone said, that, oh, no, we're winning games, and all you need to get there is to make a chance. I, I truly feel that Jared Goff showed us exactly what Alex Smith would do, and you can't you can't force it, and I think that was one of the things they did. They kind of panicked with the Kirk Cousins and went out and got a guy. They felt it'd be foolproof, and then we come to find out that Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt make all the difference in the world. So to go out and you really have to scout and find a guy that you like and make sure he meshes well with your coach and your offensive scheme and and uh, you can develop him yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's a long process and very little room for error. You know, you can't you can't just hope that something is going to work out. You know, you got to be really you got to be really sure. And so I think that's the most important. That's one of the most important things for the Redskins this offseason is you know they got to do their due diligence and that, it's not going to be easy. So. We'll see what happens, though. Kyle, you watched the Super Bowl. You know, we've, we've all seen how the Patriots have succeeded. Is there anything left unsaid that you'd like to bring bring to light? I just think they do such a good job of drafting and developing talent from within. Like, you look a lot of, look at a lot of the franchises who have had good stability and good long-term success. Like, I know, Nathan, I'm going to kill you when I say the Steelers with the Packers, but, <laughs> like, they do a really good job of drafting guys and then developing them and not just simply trading away the future to get extra players. They do a good job of getting young guys and then uh, developing them within their system. And I don't think we did, we did a much better job of that, but we used to just be the splash free eight. Oh, got to throw some money around. Now I feel like with Kyle's, like the promotion, those are two big things I feel like should really help as well. The promotion of uh, Kevin O'Connell and Kyle Smith. That'll be interesting. I do like um I do like both those moves. I think um I think John Kime said that O'Connell won't take up play calling duties right away. I don't agree with that. I think I think they should just give it to him because we've already seen we know Gruden he's a good he's good at designing the plays, but you know in terms of you know the play scripts and the pacing of the game and what you know when to call what is kind of not his forte. So I'd like to see some change there. Um, Kyle Smith yeah. is a good one too. Their, their drafts the past couple of years have low key been kind of solid. You know, you got to look in that promotion and keep yeah. not letting them go to like, you got to keep that kind of talent in house. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to you gotta build through the draft, you know, patch some holes in free agency. And especially for the Redskins now, it's even more important because they don't have a ton of cap space. And they don't seem willing to cut guys to free it up because they think they're close. Uh, we've talked about that on pre- on re- in uh, other pods, but uh, it's, a, it's a predicament for sure. But um, they have some good pieces in place. It's just trying to put it all together. And um, it's, it's definitely a process. I do want to, before we move on to other things, I do want to bring up one thing. I saw a thread on Twitter from uh, Warren Sharp kind of getting into the ins and outs of the Super Bowl game and how Bill Belichick uh, out-strategized Sean McVay. And that was... That was really telling to me. A lot of coaches emphasize, you know, having an identity, building their team around a certain identity. And but Bill Belichick, his identity is always changing. You know, he's um always adjusting to their opponent. And I think one of the McCordy brothers, when asked about that, was like, "Well, we don't have an identity. You know, it's switching up every week." And I think I was talking with some people about this. I think the biggest strength for any coach uh, that any coach should have is their ability to adjust. And not just adjust week to week, adjust from minute to minute in every game. And it's really important. And I think Belichick put on a clinic in the Super Bowl. Um, McVay wasn't really playing to his team's strengths. He was kind of trying to do what he thought they did best. But Belichick was eating, was eating that. And, um, you know, he wasn't changing much because he, he didn't prepare to be flexible like that. So cultivating that flexibility is something that good coaches and good organizations need to do. And I think that's a good place for the Redskins to start. And it kind of ties together what everyone said here. So moving on to, um, we'll, uh, we'll have a free agency pod up soon as free agency is approaching. I think March 13th is the first day. And uh, Kyle, you're welcome. If you have any thoughts on free agency, I mean, pepper them in here, but I know you specifically brought up the draft to me when you were telling me what you wanted to talk about. So uh, are there any, you know, have you done any studying on the draft, you know, any uh, preferences or whatever? I'll give you the one guy that I've been looking at. I know Ken mentioned uh, Iowa tight end when he mentioned Fant. I'll give you the other one that really blew me away, and that's TJ Hawkinson, the Mackey winner we had this year. I know you wanted to, uh, just mentioned you wanted a wide receiver and O-line. He is both of those in one person. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm not kidding. Uh, uh, the Mel Kuyper mock, the one that he had up, his first one, I think he had him going 19. And he mentioned him. You're talking about the Patriots. He mentioned Hawkinson to Rob Gronkowski, and that's a pretty hefty comparison. But you watch the film on him. He is explosive. He is a playmaker. He is athletic. I watched one play against Wisconsin where he lined up as the inside sloggers. He is 47 yards downfield when he caught the ball. I mean, we really lacked that explosive outside of Vernon Davis. We really didn't have a deep threat this year. And I really think he can offer that up in the explosive department. And maybe if we want to run some more two tight end sets this year, I was thinking about having him and uh, Trent Williams. Can you imagine him, those two leading guys? Oh man. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. I got, I haven't watched him yet, admittedly, but I have heard, I have heard about him. Cause, uh, He's a name that's for some reason not really catching on, but a lot of draft Twitter guys are really into him, and your endorsement means more too. And it's uh, it's he he's really gaining steam slowly but surely. And I've I've heard exactly those things that he's athletic, but he can block too. He's an absolute mauler as a blocker. So, and that's oh, he is. You've got a couple of pancakes that would make Orlando Pace blush. I mean, <laughs> I live an hour and a half from Iowa City, and. He's as good as uh, Kittle's been. 
uh, Hodkinson's career has blown Kittle's out of the water, and you look at what Kittle's doing right now. So I think Hodkinson, if he falls to us down there, I really hope we get him because I think he could be a potential steal in this draft. Yeah, it's it's crazy how man Iowa is a tight end factory, man. A lot of people are saying two of the best tight ends from there are in this draft, so we'll see. Both could go in the first round. Well, you look back from like Dallas Clark to Tony Moliaki, C.J. Fedoris was a third rounder. He had his career cut short uh, because of concussions, but yeah. you wonder what could have been. I mean, he was good. He was a starter for Houston, I think. I yeah, mean, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of um. A lot of differing opinions on the tight end. You'll you'll hear different stuff, but it, it's uh, it's uh, slowly growing. It's slowly gaining some momentum. So that's something to watch. Jacob, you um you wrote that two round mock. Put a lot of work into that recently. Uh, you want to tell people a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I I put this mock together in the hopes that the Redskins would land a quarterback just to see what it would look like. And um, so Kyler Murray was on the board, so I had them take him. Now, I'm not a Kyler Murray guy um, in terms of picking him in the first round. I think there are way too many risks um, to take him there. He's obviously got arm talent. And, you know, he has mobility, but he's small. He's short. He doesn't have the big frame. He might not withstand hits. And then there's the questions about whether or not he'll actually even play football or he'll go play baseball. So that's kind of like if the Redskins end up in a situation where they think they're going to take a first-round quarterback – that, for me, would be worst-case scenario because as dynamic as Kyler Murray is, there are so many question marks with him. Um, so I would much rather see them avoid a quarterback if he's the only one on the board. Um, I don't want them to trade up either. And so I'd, I'd like to see them go for a defensive – an edge rusher, an offensive line, wide receiver, tight end. Any of those positions would be better than that. Um, in the second round of that two-round mock, I had them going with Deontay Thompson from Alabama, um, the safety – um, he got some buzz as a potential first-round pick and possibly the 15th pick early on in the draft process, but he kind of is, his stock has cooled off after a regression late in the year. He didn't play well in the college football playoff. I think he ultimately goes on day two, but he could end up being that type of good value pick for the t- a team that's desperate for some talent at safety. So I kind of like that pickup. Um, if... If I'm the Redskins, I'm not looking to draft a quarterback early in this class. I'm looking to take a late-round flyer. Uh, That's just what I'm seeing at the quarterback position right now uh, because I think they're most interested in Daniel Jones right now, who's currently my top quarterback. But uh, this is not a good quarterback class to take one in. So I would would just avoid that position. My opinion of Jones has dropped dramatically. I've – um. You know, when we, when the offseason was first starting out, I was like, all right, you know, this guy looks pretty good. And I watched his bowl game, which, you know, he, he showed out there. But, you know, looking at his traits, man, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. My my favorite, my QB1 is Kyler, but he's got a ton of questions off the field. So Yeah, and every quarterback in this class has some major concerns. The reason I have Jones as my top guy right now is because I think he has the highest floor like, I'm not convinced that Locke or Haskins or Murray is definitely going to turn into something at the NFL level. I think at the very least, Jones will be a backup. And again, that's why I'm not wild about anyone taking one of these guys in the first yeah. round, particularly Seriously. the Redskins. But, um, you know, if they had to get one, I would entrust Jones to run a pro-style offense the most. But, like, 
you're talking about a guy who his ceiling would be as Carson a Carson Wentz type, but his floor is as like a backup type guy. And even the Carson Wentz comparison isn't a great one. Yeah. It would be more like this year's iteration of Carson Wentz or his rookie year, not his MVP caliber season. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's what teams do. They it's the glamour of the quarterback position. They convince themselves that guys are you know, the right fit for them, and uh, we, we see it backfire so often now, and the Redskins are kind of in that danger zone, you know, no one knows when Alex Smith is going to come back, their quarterback room currently consists of Colt McCoy, and then uh, period, so it's uh, it's definitely something to um something to consider. Nathan, I know, I know you had some thoughts on Kyler Murray, you were uh, saying stuff about him, I think. Yeah, no, I wouldn't touch him in the first round, I think that I don't I don't think it's going to work out in the NFL for him, unfortunately. Um, I think these everyone's enamored with what Russell Wilson would do, and that kind of allowed Johnny Menzel to get taken in the first round, aside from the splash that the Browns wanted to make. And really also kind of what got Baker to go number one overall is what these short quarterbacks could do. But I, I just think they're so few and far in between. And someone like him that has, you know, he had a great year at Oklahoma, but is it going to transit to the NFL where running around as much is it going to happen? Is, is his size where he's, what, 5'9", really going to, you know, limit his capabilities? Um, also, I just think that he, him coming, he needs the he needs the right situation to succeed, and this is just a toxic environment. I don't think it would work out here. Yeah. But if, if he were to fall to us, like, we're on the clock in the second round and he's there, and they, they really don't have any answers at quarterback besides Colt McCoy, I would I guess I could get on board with it as it's not your first round pick with all that talent uh, still there in the first round. So if they go there at 15, I think it's going to be a disaster. I think it's going to be a train wreck. And I think that it's just going to, it's going to hamper this franchise for however many years. Yeah. I am honestly, I wouldn't even in the second round, just because this class is so deep at positions of need for the Redskins, you know, I'd rather just, stock up other positions but admittedly because on the field if we're just talking on the field Kyler is my QB1 you know because he's got you know usually when you're looking at franchise quarterbacks you want elite traits you know you want you want guys who can really amount to something in the future and he's got elite speed and elite arm talent and I think you know it's uh, those are two things that you can't teach and he, he's got it, but off the field, he, he we don't know if he's going to play baseball or football. You know, he, he wasn't prepared for a Dan Patrick interview. He didn't even know if he was going to go to the NFL Combine, even though he declared for the draft. I mean, this he's, is... He's not handling this very well no, at all. not at all. Not at all. It's like Patrick asked him if he wanted to do a pro day. It's like he didn't even know what a pro day was. It's like, yeah, how long have you been in this process? <laughs> it's like, yeah, he kept this. looking at his dad for answers. And, yeah. and I don't like that he's... It seems like he's using football to try to to threat, try to scare and Leverage. a bigger bigger contract out of the A's, and I think yeah. he's going to use baseball as a, a way to try to kind of scare a huge contract out of NFL teams. And the NFL isn't designed that way, so I don't really know what the logistics would be if he were to go to the NFL and by week four he's just you know terrible and hates it and said I should have played baseball. How? realistic it is for him to go back to baseball I don't know but I just think that this whole thing he's not handling it well at all he's not giving any answers I guarantee you if he does go to the combine or when his pro day comes and he's having this one-on-one meeting with teams I think we're gonna hear a lot of negative things because it seems like he is treating it like it's like uh 
he's a senior in high school. Well, where are you going to go play next year as a, as a number one recruit? You know, I, I don't know. And kind of just treat it like that when really it's a lot more than that now because you have salaries and, and teams giving up a lot to invest in you and for you to kind of just treat it and not even seem like, what does he do all day? You know what I mean? Like how, what do you do all day that you have baseball and this, this a couple months away, this potentially biggest day of your life coming up and you're not prepared to even talk about the steps in the process. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's not a good look. And uh, the the fact that you didn't prepare for it as a quarterback, especially is a mm-hmm. definite red flag. So We'll see what happens there. Um, that, that it seems like a move that the Redskins would make to instill hope in the fan base because he's an exciting player for sure. But uh, yeah, for a, lot, sure. a lot of question marks. So uh, we are almost out of time, guys. We're, in fact, we're basically out of time. But we've got time for one more little segment. So, Kyle, you are our guest today. The Redskins have a long off season ahead of them. Any parting thoughts from you? I'm just looking forward to seeing uh, what we do in free agency coming up with uh, a limited salary cap. But I really have faith in what we're doing, uh, just uh, keeping uh, Smith and O'Connell. I could be wrong, but at, at the very least, I think that it's a, a small, 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 small start in at least giving this fan base a little bit of hope. As long as the right pieces are there, you know, and as long as Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder are human, you know, maybe they'll come to an epiphany eventually. Maybe they'll learn how to do things the right way. The evidence is out there for them. Actually, as we... uh, two interviews. Uh, if you listen to the Redskins talk, he's actually did two interviews. I know he hasn't did one in like over a year. He's did two in less than a month. So yeah. yeah, he's being, he's, he's trying to be a little more open, for sure. Uh, now it's, we'll, we just got to see it translate. You know, we got to see the results come, but you know, that'll, that'll happen in time. You know, that's something that takes patience and something we're gonna have to wait for but definitely an interesting offseason ahead kyle thank you for joining us today unfortunately guys we are out of time thank you as always for listening uh peace out have a good night